You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. This podcast is propelled by your input and feedback, so please rate and review and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. We would like to give a big thanks to Seraphim Guitar, Joe Bellion, Addy Raptor, and Saxel Rose for our newest five-star rating and positive reviews on Apple Podcasts. I am your host, Mr. Blasco, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, Mr. Mike Mowry. Deep exhale, or whatever you say, man. It's been, uh, it's nice to have you back. That's all I can say. Uh, my time in, in the chair as the host, though very empowering and uh, a fun time. Uh, you do a lot of work, brother, and I just gotta say thank you for, for you know, keeping this thing alive as long as it's been, because um, it is a lot of hard work. So all of you out there in Loyal Listener Land, it's nice to hear my boy Saxon Rose, the guy I know personally. It's nice to hear him give a shout. Um, you know, everybody give a round of applause for Mr. Blasco and this thing going. It's, uh, it's his effort and research that gets us to these topics each and every week. So, uh, welcome back, my brother. Woohoo! Thanks. <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in, in, uh, in the last episode, Mike and Biggie chatted about the costs of touring. That was a really cool episode that I uh, got picked up by Metal Sucks, so check it out if you haven't already. Today's episode is sponsored by our buddies at rockabilia.com. Go check them out for the awesomest collection of officially licensed band merch on the planet. Use our code PCJabberJaw and get 15% off your entire order. Hell yeah, boys at uh, Rockabilia continuing to support us. They got so many freaking items up there. It's over half a million so as the seasons change, depending on where you are in the world, uh, be sure to hit them up first and foremost whenever you're looking for new merchandise. Stay fresh, stay comfortable, stay warm. Uh, thanks to our boy Frankie and uh, everyone else over there. When you do head over and use that code PC Jar to get your 15% off, tell them Blasco and Mike sent you. It means the world to us because they're supporting us as an independent podcaster in the Jabber John Media Network as an independent podcaster. Today's episode is also sponsored by the cool kids over at bandzoogle.com, where you can build a stunning website for your music in minutes. Try it free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code MENTAL to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. Another great sponsor here, our guy Dave Cool. Yep, that's his real name over at Bandzoogle. Thanks, Dave, and the Bandzoogle guys for your support. Uh, they build wonderful websites, and so uh, once again, when you do head over there, if and when you tell them Blasco, Mike sent you, uh, once again, them supporting us, keep these 
podcast in our network. Yes, uh, and this week we talk about learning from other bands' mistakes. This is going to be killer, so let's get mental. Oh yeah. Uh, so, Mike, um, dug around the interwebs a little bit. I found a post by uh, the nice lady Carrie Cole, um, and her, her it was on her website, and it's called 10 Music Mistakes That Turn Fans Off." So, um, let's dig into it since we've got. 10 items to discuss. Uh, number one uh, music mistake that turns fans off is you post your demos publicly. Don't post demos for all the world to hear. Keep them private. No one has any imagination. All the imperfections scream amateur. This is an interesting thought because it's one I never would have really thought of. I, I can't even imagine that I've seen anyone. Um, that said, especially since a lot of our focus is on you up-and-comers and developing artists, I think that this makes sense. Um, as you're finding your way, you don't really need to be part of that process. I think it could be interesting once an artist is more established to allow people in on the process, but I think that's a little bit more after the fact, almost like you show behind the scenes of the music video shoot once the video's already out or leading up to it. Um, but I've never really run into this. I don't know. Do you have any experience or, or any thoughts on it? Uh, I'm like you. is I don't really see this happen very often. But, you know, this level of stuff isn't necessarily on my radar. However, I would imagine that this does happen a lot. And, you know, reason being is because bands get very excited. Bands, um, they, they, they think, that their shit is awesome as they should. But I understand the sentiment of not getting ahead of yourselves just because you're excited and putting out some stuff that is subpar, especially in this day and age, competitively to the level of sonic you know, uh, uh, presentation of, of where things are at. Meaning that if you're of a certain genre, if the quality of your music sonically isn't up to par with the bands that would be your peers or your colleagues or or the level that you're trying to get at, if it's not at that level, you shouldn't be posting that stuff until it is. So that's what I would add to this. Got it. Yeah. Uh, number two, you only have one or two or three songs up. You still need an album's worth of material out there to be taken seriously. Ten or more broadcast quality songs, not demos. It's about having more than one song. A body of work for us to sink our teeth into. It's fine to release a single, but be sure you have a string of them. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with this. I don't know if it needs to be ten necessarily. As the industry continues to change and so much of uh, the process does become about sharing things, you know, as they're completed. I don't think that that, you know, that you have to wait until you've got a full 10. That said, it is really kind of frustrating when an artist has one track up, you know, and that's it. And you like it a lot. And then that's it. It's all you can dig into. So I, I think that's a, 
a good statement that you do want more than more than two to three songs. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm on the fence with this one. Uh, I I disagree with this a little bit um, in that you don't need an album up until it's necessary. I mean, obviously, it's like it's good to have a body of work, you know, written and potentially recorded. But if you put if you put a single up. Right. And like you, you have a single and you make a video and you put it up there on the interwebs. And if people start to dig it and they want to hear more stuff, then that's who you deliver it to. Right. But if you, if you put up a single and no one wants it, then why would you put up a full record that no one wants? You know, it's like, to me, it's like you gotta like, there, there has to be, you have to build a base and you build a base in the playlist generation one song at a time. Um, so my thought is like, it's like you got to start off somewhere and it's better to start with the single than start with a full record. You, you give that, you give that content once it's, once there's an audience that wants it. But I feel like it's unnecessary to throw an album's worth of shit out there if you have no fans yet. Totally. Uh, number three, you think that marketing is what makes people convert into fans. Yes, marketing is important, really important. Yes, good marketing makes people convert into fans, but all the marketing in the world will not make up for music that doesn't blow us away. You've got to have the goods to truly go the distance. Now, this is a fantastic point to me. And, and one of the best things that I heard is uh, there's a podcast called And the Writer Is uh, with the guy, the host, Ross Golden. And uh, he interviews a really, really guy, you know, famous songwriter from a big band over the last 10 years. And that guy said something uh, which was smash hits market themselves. And so it just stuck with me because marketing is important. But you spend so much more time having to market something that's mediocre as opposed to something that is a smash hit. Doesn't mean that you can't market things that inevitably become smash hits, right? To get people listening. But inevitably, the tracks that are really fantastic that people are gonna have to share with their friends because it's that infectious and have to listen to time and time again, I think this is such a fantastic point. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I always feel like Good music is truly subjective in that, you know, people can gravitate towards something um, that may not be the best music, but it connects in a way um, and, and, and it resonates with that person. So, like, you know, like, I mean, I almost feel like these need to run congruently in that nowadays that there has to be marketing there has to be a sense of marketing and you have to understand your audience so i feel like it's it's how you market and who you market to to convert them but you do that because your music resonates not because your marketing resonates right your marketing is what gets your music heard but no one's going to no one's going to follow a band to where they haven't heard the music so of course the music is important but to me, it's, it's, it's a matter of how you market and who you market to so that they can 
resonate with your music and become a fan. No, totally. I think that's a great point. I mean, one of the artists that I'm working very closely with at the moment, you know, they're very creative with their marketing efforts. And, you know, they have been since the time that I started working with them and it has grown their fan base. That said, now that we're in a position where they're having tracks that really are connecting on a level that's larger than their existing fan base, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, we are seeing that marketing in and of itself isn't enough. So I agree they have to happen congruently, uh, but let your music lead and let your marketing support. Yep. Uh, you, number four, you did your vocals in one day. There is no excuse for squeezing your vocals in last minute or leaving unfinished vocals on a record, no matter how tight the budget was. Nothing screams amateur more than off-pitch or less than par vocals, no matter how organic you want your sound to be. I think the title of this one is sort of funny, and maybe the way it's written is to catch people's eyes, but I don't give a shit how long it took you to do your vocals. I do think that the point is that nothing screams amateur than off-pitch or less than par vocals, but that has no indication to me of the timing of it. Some people are talented enough to be able to do that. And, you know, again, this has no reference to how many songs, whatever else it may be. I think it's just the timing doesn't matter. It's more the, the, the quality of the final product. Hey, look, man, the first Black Sabbath record was recorded in a weekend. So that's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> no, number, number five, your record is better than your show. If a fan comes all the way to see you and your live performance is not as good as your record, you will lose them. Um, you know, I, of course, think that you'd like that your show to be equal to or better than your record. That said, I think you and I grew up in an era where you honed your chops in a practice space and then you went to record. And what I've experienced recently, or at least in the last 10 years, is that there's plenty of artists who do it the opposite. You know, they, uh, they figure out how to record something first, and then I've watched them single-handedly become better live bands. And it may not be exactly how we wish it to be or the way that it was when we were, um, you know, coming up, but inevitably, it, I've watched the process work where you've got a band who isn't very good live, and as they do continue to hone their skills out on the road by playing live, they become good bands. So, um, yeah, I, I think I understand the point and why this is said. And I do think that your goal needs to be to have a great live show. But inevitably, I've watched bands sort of debunk this and become great live bands. Yeah, I mean, and also, too, like, you know, that you would lose them. I mean, I think that it's like all of this is a case-by-case -case basis. Um, I, I mean, I think if it's like something to where you're like, drunk and you're lame you know what i mean to where you're disrespecting your fan base i think that's where i have a problem um but like for instance like i'm a Soundgarden fan and the first time i saw them i thought they were terrible um but they they were just like a they just weren't a good live band or at least not the time that i saw them but that didn't make me not a fan right like i'm just like oh, oh like I get it. Like they're just like, they're, that's just not really their strong point every single time, you know? And, um, 
and whatever, but it, I didn't lose them as a fan. You know, I just understood. I just kept my expectations low when I saw them in future times, you know. But, um, Which may have made them better just because of your expectations. We've all been there, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and, I, and, and like, for instance, like Nine Inch Nails to me is like one of the best live bands I've ever seen. I've been seeing them since their first record. And I liked their record. And I think that, I mean, their first record, right? Like I was a fan of their first record and I went to go see them play with not really knowing what to expect because this was, you know, so long ago, you didn't, you didn't have YouTube and stuff of that to where you could kind of get an idea. There was just like a music video on MTV and I went to go see them play live and I was completely blown away and became an obsessive fan from that point because they were so good, right? And stuff. So you know, I mean, I think there's a delicate balance, but my overall sentiment here is like good or bad or whatever is sort of indifferent. And maybe that's just the kind of band that you are. But I think as long as you're doing the best that you can, then to me, it's okay. It's whenever you're like, you're a mess or you're drunk or you don't care or you're phoning it in. That's when I have a, I have a problem because that then you're sort of disrespecting the people that have paid good money to come see you play. No, totally. And I think with so many of our, you know, listeners being, you know, up and comers, if you will, you know, there's so many, you know, since I've got a specialty in artist development, and of course, you've done so much of that yourself, Blasco. Like, to me, it's, it's so common to have the record be better than the live show when an artist starts out. And I think that that's okay. That said, eyes on the prize. Inevitably, if you want to have a career, your live show has to eventually Eclipse, or at least get as good as uh, you recorded it. Yep. Uh, number six, you wrote your bio yourself. A bio that starts out when you were two years old about how you sang before you spoke. We can all tell you wrote that bio yourself. Keep it short, compelling, and make sure it's well written and by a professional music writer. Yeah, I mean, without uh, undervaluing what a bio is because it is something that's supposed to tell your story. Um, you know, so many of us can pick up on what an artist's story is through, you know, real time kind of, um, you know, interaction with them on social media or whatever it may be. I guess I'm trying to find a kind way of saying, I don't really give a shit about a bio um, that, it, you know, it's not, the linchpin and whether or not I think an artist uh, is going to be a good artist or not. Flip side, every last bit of this stuff, you know, even though I'm sitting here saying a bio isn't super important, it does play a role. And so if you're going to put something out there, you should make it as, as great as possible. So, you know, I'm sort of mixed on this one. Uh, I, I mean, look, whenever you're first starting off, your bio is going to be kind of fluffed up because there's not really a story yet. There's not really a whole lot to dig into other than like, well, we used to be in this band and we've opened for these other bands and, you know, like we put out our first EP, you know, self-release. Like there's not a whole lot of interesting shit going on, right? So like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think to be interesting, just make one up. Make up a make make some make some funny shit up or whatever. Like you know, I don't know. Dude, it gives it gives me the perfect opportunity. Uh, when I was playing in Good Clean Fun, uh, 
the singer wrote a bio. And if you recall back in the day in the print bio days, you know, you would highlight or rather make bold the names of artists or, you know, so if you came from a, a, a band, you know, and you were in a new band that the old artists would be, you know, in bold. And the singer uh, wrote our bio for Deeply Fun and, and he would put, you know, like Mike Bowery. And then the, the bold part, he would put, you know, he put like sick of it all. And then it would just say fan. So it was like really sort of funny. It was like he was trying to use <laughs> other artists, but then realizing that, you know, we didn't actually have a role in those bands. We missed fans or uh, whatever else. Maybe, maybe you had to be there. Maybe you had to read it. But I like your point. Be funny. You know, don't take yourself so damn seriously, especially when you start. Yeah, agreed. Uh, number seven, you've got tons of views on YouTube but few comments and even worse numbers on social media that don't warrant those views. It's obvious those views are purchased when you see a large disproportion of the ratio of comments versus views or likes. Same with your Facebook page. You have tons of likes on your Facebook music page, but very little comments. It's more transparent than you think. It's best to grow organically by engaging with people. Yeah, I think some of this stuff, it's, uh, and I don't know exactly when this article was written, but uh, I'm going to go look. It's actually written very recently. So I would say, yeah, I mean, these are the types of things that before we all figured out what, how to really read into what was fake and what wasn't, you could get away with this sort of stuff. This day and age, nobody's secrets are safe. You know, you got to play by the rules. Uh, you got to figure out ways to, to get real engagement. Otherwise, we're all going to see right through it. I don't care what the platform is. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it takes the same amount of effort to Google, uh, you know, best Instagram practices for a band versus best way to cheat the system. <laughs> like, you know, like if, if you're, if you're going to do it, it's like, it's someone's going to find you out eventually, right? And and so I understand that whenever you're starting out, you know, you want to you want to move fast and you want to get followers fast and you know, you want to play in front of people fast like you're in you're in a hurry to start to get shit done. Like I get that, but look, at the end of the day, you're eventually going to rat yourself out. Like you're going to get caught if you want to like fluff up some numbers and stuff to get some attention. Um so it's just not worth doing. It's way better to just follow the system, engage with people, build a fan base organically via word of mouth, you know, do like just listen to this podcast, get, you know, get some hints, Google best practices, you know, these are all the right things to do. There's no sense in fluffing up numbers because just, you're just going to get ratted out. Respect. Truth. Uh, uh, number eight, you don't have a website. Only Reverb Nation. When you haven't invested in your own site, it tells a potential fan that you are stabbing at it. We all know that you aren't 100% invested in your own career yet, so we aren't either. Yeah, I think this is one where we've hinted to certain uh, things like this in previous episodes. And I think you and I are sort of on the same page. Great. If you can have your own website, even if it's just a holding place, you can direct people to your social media, um, you know, or whatnot, then that is really the thing that I would recommend. 
that said, if you haven't figured out how to do it, uh, you know, Fanzoogle, they are an advertiser. So, you know, full transparency here, as you guys heard at the top of the episode, they're a great place to make things like this easier. I think part of the beauty of social media has been you don't have to worry about a website. You don't have to worry about the challenges of getting a domain. Where is it hosted? Blah, blah, blah. That said, it doesn't mean that it's the best practice because inevitably you want to be able to own what people are coming to just as you want to build a mailing list and do things like that. But I wouldn't say that it says you aren't 100% invested in your own career. What would you, what, would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I mean... I, I agree. It's like, I mean, I think websites become a little less important, um, you know, as social media becomes more important. But the one thing that I would say is important is that you at least want to make sure that you have your .com. Like what, my band name .com, like you have to own that URL. You don't necessarily have to do anything with it. And if you want to point it to a band Google page, or a Bandcamp page, or even like your Instagram or your Facebook, I think that's fine because at least that way you have the messaging of mybandname.com is the message because that to me is important. Even if you don't necessarily, you know, have the resources to, to build a, a standalone website, that's okay. Like, you know, uh, Banzoogle, I mean, they've, they're not only can you put a website there, but I mean, but they have, good resources, and they have really great customer service. Uh, you know, that is a really good option. I also think Bandcamp is a really good option. Um, you know, a lot of people are using Bandcamp and using that as their website. Um, I think that's a really good option too. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with her on this one, but I would add to it that you got to own your .com, not your fucking .org or .net or whatever. It's like, if someone owns your name.com, then that's a problem. And I always, I've said this multiple times on this web, uh, on this podcast, but like, make sure you get the .com and make sure you do your best to secure the name on, on YouTube, on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever that you've got the same thing for all of these sites. And if, and if you don't, or if someone already has them, Chances are they're either already using it, and then so in the future it's going to be confusing when someone Google's your name and some other shit pops up. So that's my tip of the day. Truth. Uh, number nine: Your website is a fire hose. Too much information on your website is suicide. It begs low self-esteem. If your site has too much going on, people will click away and they won't convert into fans. The only fire hose I'm concerned with it contains a gentleman named Mike Watt. Um, so we already covered the website to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's like, I mean, I think if anything, it's, you know, you, you use this, you use this as, as just to kind of as a across the board, um, you know, like just, just keep it to the necessity, keep it to like, don't make people jump through hoops to hear your music if you're sending them to a particular destination. I think maybe that would be a smarter way to put it. Yeah. Uh, final number 10, too much text, not enough images. Too much text on your website or promo materials is a big turnoff. No one has time to read all of that. The trend now is clean, lots of white space, one call to action. Use more images 
and less text to grab people's attention. Yeah, I mean, I think just as you said, Google best Instagram practices, best promotion practices. So much of this stuff ties together. Um, and, you know, we get the beauty of, of walking through it in a you know conversational capacity. I think she does a really good job of breaking some stuff down into some really simple steps here um, as a as a you know starting off point for the general components of you know how to how to have a successful thing you know band or music project that doesn't turn fans off. Inevitably, you know you can't worry so much about whether or not you know one particular hater is going to not like one of these things. She's obviously coming from a place where she's seen this stuff work or rather work against artists. So take it for what it is. I don't have any super detailed comments on too much text, not enough images. I think find a balance and follow along with any of the best practices that exist, which do change uh, with relative frequency. Totally agreed, Mike. Well, that concludes episode 86. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you may have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? Nah, just good to have you back. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MikeOLoop. Uh, the coaching platform is OuterLoopCoaching.com for a little bit more detailed resources on some of the stuff that we've covered here. Go over there and familiarize yourself with it. Uh, last but not least, head over and uh, you know, give Rockabilia.com and Banzoogle.com uh, a look. Tell them Blasco and Mike sent you when you use the respective codes that are in the show notes. Blasco, it's great to have you back. Uh, it's nice. Uh, yeah, fun to cover this one. And everybody else, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.